the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by Dynasty Owner. Do you think you're smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? Here's your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategies of the front office and the business side of owning an entire NFL franchise. Build a roster of players using their actual NFL contracts and salaries. Can you build a winner while staying under the salary cap? Visit DynastyOwner.com and join a league today. Win cash prizes and compete in the chase for the ring. Tell them Trek sent you and you'll get an extra bonus after joining your league. Again, DynastyOwner.com. Start today. Fantasy football will hopefully be back soon. So get on top of this. DynastyOwner.com. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Wednesday, July 1st. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day. As a Mets fan, this one uh, is bittersweet, but I enjoy the heck out of it every single year. July 1st, Bobby Bonilla, $1.19 million paycheck for waking up. It's part of a 25-year deferred payment plan. He's going to be making $1.19 million until 20, 2035. Everybody kind of knows this story now, but it's still really fun to get it out there and have fun with it because we can all imagine how amazing that would be. It was supposed to be a $5.9 million bonus. He, he took much more than that deferred over a 25-year basis, and he is winning. And the Mets thinking behind it was, okay, we're not going to take that $5.9 million. We're going to take the money we, we were going to give him and we're going to invest it because they were linked to Bernie Madoff at the time. The owners of the Mets had ties to the Madoff situation, which they thought was on the up and up. And in very Mets fashion, it was not. So <laughs> that $6 million they invested came crashing to a halt along with plenty of other dollars that they invested, which is why preeminent free agents have not been able to go to the Mets in quite a bit, quite a bit of time. It's getting better, of course, and there's rumors that The Mets are for sale and that there are actual bidders and that this thing might get done. So changes could be on the horizon, but back in the day, this is how the Mets operated. It was sort of a push it down the, down the payroll. And look, I've had a lot of smart people hit me on Twitter today with this, Uh, you know, former front office people, former sports business people. And they're absolutely right. If at any point in time, a player agrees to defer money, you defer money, (laughs) you defer money. It's just the way that front offices want to operate. Players don't want it. Agents don't want it. But if, if the case comes up where you can do it, I mean, we've had plenty of high-profile MLB contracts, even these past couple of years, contain, you know, 50% deferred. You've had a couple of players come out and say, absolutely not, like Bryce Harper. I know he was one of them. Um, and Steven Strasburg as well. So, you know, it still exists. But from a front office standpoint, heck yeah, you defer that money. There, you are, you're always under the assumption that you're going to have plenty more money later, especially in a sports league, a sports franchise where, you know, outside of this pandemic, money is just kind of growing on trees. So I'm not going to blame the Mets too much. Again, they thought they were doing the right thing with investing it. I also saw this from Darren Ravel this morning, who, uh, who was all over the story as well alongside me. Great tweet. If he had, if Bobby Bonilla had taken that 5.9 million and invested it in Amazon, it'd be worth $1 billion, billion with a B, $1 billion, according to Darren Ravel. So, all right, maybe he missed out on that one. <laughs> but waking up every July 1st for, to $1.2 million is still not a bad way to start your morning. Okay, we're going to bounce around a little bit here. I'm trying to do that as much as possible over the summer here where obviously content is minimal. And, you know, I'm sort of sick of the whole will, will it happen, won't it happen 
what's the restart going to look like? You know, what are the COVID numbers? It's important, but everyone else is saying it. So you don't need to hear it from me. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, there's a lot going on to be quite frank. I mean, you know, I said, I'm not going to dive too far down the COVID stuff, but it's, it's important to at least stay on the surface with it. We're seeing a lot of tests in every sports and a lot of positive tests in every sports. We just had an announcement that six MLS players inside that Orlando bubble have tested positive. That's a big deal. And Scott and I have talked about this to some degree. The MLS being inside of that bubble as well has not been talked about enough because yes, Disney employees are coming in and out, but it's not just coming in and out for the NBA players. There's also the entire MLS league <laughs> having their, you know, the, the finish of their season inside of this Orlando bubble. It's yes, it's a big complex. There's plenty of room to spread out, but any kind of shared employees who are coming in, coming out, that's a bad look. And now we've got the MLS testing positive. There's no way that the NBA is, is not going to have positive tests once they get down there, which is about a week away here. Baseball's had plenty. Baseball's had plenty of opt-outs as well, as we talked about a couple of days ago. So there's a, you know, you can't ignore that kind of stuff because if that continues to snowball and the positive tests get to a point of where, you know, teams are going to have trouble fielding an actual roster inside of their bubble or to start their, their major league baseball season. Uh, we'll see where that gets to, but you know, on a, on a more global look, these States just have to clean themselves up. They got to lock it down. You got to throw a mask on, do whatever, whatever they're, they're recommending. If, if you want your kids back in school and you want sports back on TV, uh, you know, just play nice. That's, I, I don't even know how else to say it. It's not even a, it's not even an individual decision. If, if you want those things to happen, everything else has to button up so that, uh, we can at least get to a, a manageable state. I, I mean, we're certainly not going to going to bury this thing. It's either going to bury itself or we're going to have a vaccination to do, do it for us. But just, uh, you know, there's my PSA for the day. Just, uh, just do your little part so that we can try to get sports back online. Because I know if you're listening to this, it means as much as to you as it does to me. And, uh, we're just a couple of weeks away from that possibly happening. So, uh, you know, enough of that. All right. We're going to bring Scott in. Scott's got some info on just how much this bubble is actually costing the NBA, which is crazy. Uh, you know, we, I, we mentioned how the production was going to be big. I've heard some rumors, which I mean, I'm we're talking about like lighting that is colored based on the amount of fans that are cheering based on an app or based on Twitter or trending or whatever it's going to be. They're basically going to pull for some sort of virtual mechanism to say, all right, if it's a Lakers-Clippers game, there's more Lakers fans cheering loudly right now. So we need to light up the arena, the empty arena, in more purple and gold versus more red and blue. So I, I, that's one idea I heard. But, but that's what I expected. That's the Disney side of this that I expected. I assume there'll be you know, pl plenty of pre and post and I guess, you know, in-game production as well to go along with it. But that's just one idea I've heard so far. So that's the level that the NBA is taking right now, not only to get this thing off the ground, but to do so with pomp and circumstance and make that $1 billion TV contract worth it because that's what it's all about right now. It has nothing to do with any other experience except for the television viewer. And Scott will bring a little bit more data that goes along with that. Joined now on the Hip Raid Hotline by the other spot track guru, Scott Allen. Scott, I mentioned in the open, there's some news with the NBA. Let's stick away from the bad stuff. <laughs> I know there's, 
I know there's plenty of op, of, uh, of opt-outs, of positive COVID tests, especially now inside of that bubble with the MLS, as I mentioned. Let's stick away from that. I, I, I think that's going to be a big story soon. It's, it's developing. Uh, let's stick with the money. You've got some great notes here on, on what the, the bubble is costing the NBA. Go ahead and uh, lay that out for us. Yeah, it sounds like uh, from some reports that came out this afternoon, the bubble is going to cost the NBA about $150 million. Which sounds crazy. Um, I, I know there's some references as to what else they usually spend that money on, but let's, that's where I want to start. I mean, they're not spending money inside of their arenas right now or uh, you know, with, part, with local partners. They're spending it all on Disney. And we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. They're going to make a billion dollars from TV if they pull this thing off inside of the bubble. A billion dollars. So I think they budgeted well. Uh, I mentioned in the open that there's that rumor of, of the uh, fan-driven lighting as part of the production. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've so th- they're pulling out all the stops here. So that, that number's huge, and it might be reckless. But this is what we were expecting. Remember, we had discussions about how Adam Silver is probably going to blow us away. He's probably sitting down with these Disney people saying, how do we make this the best TV show in the history of sports? And I'm not sure they can get there in this, this quick time frame, but it's going to be impressive. And this number just kind of alludes to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the other notes uh, with this quote-unquote bubble that, that I saw today and yesterday that have come out is Disney employees, they're not going to be COVID-19 tested before going to work. They're just going to be temperature checked. So, um, quote unquote, and the bubble there, because, I mean, you're going to have people coming and going and, you know, that is. I've talked about it enough. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, We've had, uh, there were five opt outs. Um, I know we've talked about that in the past. No, go ahead. Lay them out. Five opt outs. I mean, we've had um, DeAndre Jordan. And Wilson Chandler, so you got two Nets players. Possibly Dinwiddie uh, it, too, right? Because he he tested positive. Yeah, possibly. He's not sure what he's going to do yet. But then you had Willie Cauley Stein and Avery Bradley, right. and uh, and then Bertans that we talked about before. the The transaction window has closed. So what that means is everything is frozen as far as salaries um, and. There were four teams that were over the tax threshold that will get hit with a bill this year. So those teams were Portland with about $5.9 million tax bill, Miami at $2.9 million, Oklahoma City at about $2.4 million, and then Minnesota was around $600,000. So four teams with the tax bill. Yeah, we had talked about that originally. We, We thought maybe those teams would try to maneuver a little bit and get under or at least get closer to reduce that bill. It was almost radio silent on tra- the transaction wire. Yeah. Teams were, don't know what to do not, right now, do they? No, they're sort of going status quo for the most part. I mean, some teams have signed substitute players, which uh, those substitute players that sign, they get the cash, but they're not part of the cap at all because everything is frozen. So like players like J.R. Smith, he's going to get $289,000 for playing with the Lakers. And, is that just for the eight games? Uh, that is for 20 days or okay. eight games. Yeah. Wow. Hey, so, that's not bad. Yeah. It's more than half no, the not- Major League Baseball is going to make in 60 games. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my so, goodness. 
And then there's there's the playoff splits that they get after the fact. Some teams usually split it amongst players or they give it to staff and that kind of stuff. It's up to the team to deal with the playoff money as they wish. I was just going to ask that. So he, that's up to the Lakers if they win the championship, how they want to disperse it. They could not pay J.R. Smith. Would that be payback yeah. for the Cleveland moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, yeah, listen nice job these past two months but i can't do it um, all right <laughs> yeah, that's interesting it's completely up to the team yeah and then i mean you have situations where i just saw today uh right before we came on uh jokic with denver he's still not in the u.s he's expected to meet the team in orlando but you have situations like that where players are still caught overseas and you know, well, he tested be, positive, uh, right? Is he still quarantining? Is that what's happening? I guess, but he's overseas quarantining, I guess, and then he'll come to to the states at some point. But I and mean, then he's gonna have to quarantine again, right? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think so. so. I, he he might, yeah, he might be late to the game here. Not to mention, he lost about 150 pounds. I don't even know what kind of player he's gonna be. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's going to be with a lot of these players. I mean, some of them probably really haven't had the, the whereabouts to go and work out and going to have to get the rust off. And it's going to be a completely fluid situation with if a, a player comes down with it and then they need to sign a substitute player. So in going back to what you said with the transactions, there really hasn't been the transactions that we originally thought. So teams are for the most part going status quo and then, you know, they're going to ride it out. It's a weird day. Happy Bobby Bonilla day. But this is also usually a crazy ass day for you. This is usually the the NBA free agency. (laughs) This is the NHL free agency. This is the EPL free agency. The transfer window opens in the EPL. This is usually like our, you know, our black hole day. Yeah. Well, my wife, my wife this afternoon goes, aren't you supposed to be doing something really a a lot with uh, sports today? And I said, Oh, that's in October now. I'm usually tethering internet off of my phone and my computer while camping, trying to update half of the sports in our system. So kind of a nice little break from that. I'll say that, but uh, you know, it'll be good to get back to some normalcy. Maybe a couple of NFL notes here. I want to sneak in here before I let you go, Scott preseason's cut in half. Supplemental draft is gone. That's just the start of it. The NFL is finally coming around to the fact that they've got to they've got to shorten some things. They've got to strip some things away. They've got to simplify it and make it more safe. Is any of that coming with basketball? Adam Silver, I saw I saw him speak yesterday, and it's the first time I saw him in front of a camera basically say, "We don't know everything yet," meaning we're going to try to make this better, or we know we're going to have to be flexible based on how this thing looks. I, I mean. Are we getting to a point with the, with the Nets, Scott, where it's getting closer that they won't be able to field a team? No, I think they'll be able to field a team. It's just not going to be the team that we saw during the actual regular season. And yeah, from what I've heard, NBA is full steam ahead until they they have to shut down for some reason. So they they think their plan is the best plan that they could have, and and they're they're going forward with it. Does a team have to forfeit? in your guesstimation? No, I don't think they're going to have to forfeit. I, I think they'll still be able to sign substitute players if players come down with the virus and they need to have, I mean, all these teams, they have up to 17 players going to be on the roster because including the two way players that they have all in the bubble, so, all in the bubble. Okay. 
Yeah. So you have 17 and you're only playing five. So, I mean, for the most part, when it really gets down to the nitty gritty, you usually only see, you know, six, seven, maybe eight players uh, being being on the court during a game. So I I think if if the, the bubble can sustain uh, the longevity into October, mm-hmm. I think they'll be they'll be all right. It's just going to be a matter of with everything being so fluid and Disney workers being able to come and go and you you'll you'll have potentially substitute players that have to quarantine that come in and it, it, it it's going to be a fluid situation and they just have to hope that it's not going to come down to a point where they just have to shut it all down for a week or two to uh, let things reset because of some explosion of the the virus more so in Florida than it already is. I really don't want this thing to start and have to stop. It's the one thing as a sports fan, I'm just terrified of. I I mean, obviously the health of these players and and all the staff is of the top priority, but man, I mean, all, all these numbers, all these experts are saying like end of September, September 27th ish is like the day. And that's, that's like two weeks outside of the NBA finals, right? Yeah. And one of the things I thought of not to tangent too much, but the NWSL has been playing out in Utah and it's made me think, you know, they're out in Utah where there's not, there's cases, but not to the extent of Florida. And, and they, they're the first to come back as a team sport. It almost makes you wonder if Florida was the right choice for the the NBA or even MLS just because there's the complex there. WNBA is um, going there too. They're going to Bradenton. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, is that the right choice moving forward? And it's going to be interesting to see if it does work or if it doesn't. If it doesn't, there's going to be some – probably some kind of contingency plan moving forward in case, you know, this happens again in the, in the near future where maybe they build their own complex somewhere (laughs) on their own in the middle of Montana or something, not that they want to go to Montana, but where there's less population and they can go and do a true bubble and, you know, some kind of contingency plan of that aspect. The one thing I think they're missing on is they're tr- they tried to keep a schedule that was too much alike their actual schedule. I think yep. they should have flooded days with games, start to finish, mm-hmm. early morning to, to 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 evening. Just play, just keep playing. If you're playing every day, you know you're 9 a.m. one day, maybe you're 7 p.m. the next day to give yourself a day and a half of rest or whatever it is but every team should be playing every single day. It, there just shouldn't be breaks. They should be flooding this thing in a tournament style schedule versus a traditional, you know, days off kind of thing. I, I just think they needed to put rush this thing to the finish line. And I know they did to some degree, but to me, you just maximize it. You do everything you can to get the season in because if it, if it's four weeks and then stops, everything they just did is nothing, nothing. You're going to have to say the season's nothing is a total miss. There's not going to be a champion. It- yeah. And games aren't even happening for another 30 days, 29 days. So, I mean, it's like, right. Uh, it, a lot can happen in that time frame. So I just did an interview I, not I, too long ago, Scott. And you know, they asked, did baseball miss baseball missed 
Baseball should be playing right now. Today should be opening day. Today should be opening day for the, for Major League Baseball. If they hadn't gone back and forth 77 times on how many games they thought they should play and, you know, all that stuff that was somewhat important but really was already figured out <laughs> and they just had to back away from each other, it's a huge miss. Baseball should be leading the charge right now and we should be understanding how it could work and, uh, you know, learning some of the things that needed to be learned from an inside you know, you know, from a, a group, a team aspect, from a competitive play aspect, I'm sure they're, they're reaching out to Europe and see how these soccer leagues are doing and handling mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. But, you know, we should have an American version of that right now with baseball starting today. To me, it's a huge swing and a miss. No pun intended. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think you're going to see not only in, in the NBA, but all these team sports come up with some kind of plan yeah. so that if, you know, you're talking these, like you're talking like revised CBA stuff too. Yeah, I, I guess it would probably have to be collectively bargained. It, it it to allow some of that flexibility to happen and where things are going to go. But I, I'm thinking, you know, some of these players are saying they went back to Brooklyn, and you know, Dinwiddie is an example. He's right. saying he went to to the the facility and he got it because he went to the facility where, you know, all the cases are in in New York, New Jersey and all that watching the NWSL, the one team, the rain, they were saying that they actually got their whole team left the state of Washington, went to some remote uh, soccer field or wherever it was in the middle of Montana and did their training camp right in Montana away from everything. So I wonder at what point some of these contingency plans in the future are going to be, all right, if we have to do some sort of stop and go, Mm -hmm. or we're going to, even for training camps, we're going to go to a remote place and, and have this where we're isolated and we don't have to do all this traveling and maybe they have to, they pay people to come and stay there to do the food and, and everything else yeah. for all those logistics. I mean, we're sort of seeing that with the UFC. Uh, yes. The Island with their, with their Island. Yeah. And, uh, and some, there's been some tweets of some of their pictures of the Island that have been slowly trickling out and their rendering of how it's going to look. I, you may see that happen here in the more so in the near future. I, uh, with some of these team leagues, because you know, if they want to be able to have this actual bubble without people going in and out, you know, that's what they're going to have to do. I, I think the natural reaction to that is you're crazy and you're overreacting. I don't think it is because sport, I, sports leagues operate either. on a different level. And if this is something they can do as a kind of like a one-time payment to secure really any issue, right? I mean, that covers a lot of issues, not to mention being able to host your players and own your own training camps and own your own academies. And then, I mean, I mean, we see what's happening with, with the NBA and this new, this new startup Academy. I imagine that's coming for all these sports now. I mean, the, the idea of having uh, gigantic practice squads, that's going to be a thing now. That's going to be a real thing. That's one thing baseball had too much of in minor league baseball, but baseball had no problem creating this 60 man player pool. None. It took teams about an hour and a half. It took them 17 weeks to figure out how many games they could play. And it took them an hour and a half to make their 60 man <laughs> rosters. I'm still trying to figure them out. I'm not, I'm not I'm caught up yet. So I, uh, it's funny how these teams, these leagues can really learn from each other, but I think that is a universal, we got to do better. Number one, we got to do better from a health standpoint as it is. 
the, the fact that we're finding out many of these leagues and teams didn't have like a direct person, a point person for not so much this drastic of a situation, but really for any kind of situation, any, any kind of spreading, which happens. I mean, it, it, we've seen it before uh, on much smaller scales, but that's a no brainer paycheck. I mean, a no-brainer paycheck, you know? Mm-hmm. Just get these people on staff. You mentioned chefs and stuff like that. Most of these athletes already have their own chefs, and they're traveling with them. It's one thing I read about the bubble. Many of these NBA players are bringing a couple of family members and their chef <laughs> because, you know, you, you want to be able to to know exactly what you're eating and where it's coming from, and that's a big part of the health and safety of this, which I totally get. You're right, though. That should be almost mandated, if not recommended, right, from these teams maybe even from the leagues who are doing a lot more with addressing the younger players and how to handle themselves as, as professionals and all that, all that's got to get brought up, brought up to snuff. All that's got to be better so that the individual is, is more prepared for something again, not maybe not to this level, but on, on, on an average season, the ups and downs that happen to me, they were, they were understaffed, underprepared and you're right. They could be under utilizing space. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. we may see where say the NBA, they build this Mecca of a training facility and all these basketball courts. And it may be the place for the off season for players to go train. Or, I mean, I know they like Vegas for their summer league, but if they built a giant complex where they could have their, their summer league there. Vegas Vegas um, makes sense. Yeah. You could go out remote with it. The, the, the players love to be there, but man, will there be collusion? <laughs> I mean, I keep thinking about that, uh, that pickup game that MJ had on set of space jam. Yeah, I know. I mean, yep. if that's what summer's like for, for these players and they're all just kind of together and, and doing damage together. Oh my goodness. All right. That's enough of that. Good stuff, Scott. Thanks for the numbers. We'll be back soon. Yep. Today's episode is also brought to you by hit parade. Visit dacardworld.com for your mystery memorabilia box. And we are very happy to announce a spot track contest with Hit Parade starting tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this, starting July 2nd, 7 a.m. Eastern. I'm going to tweet out and post to Instagram and post to Facebook a contest. Here's it. It's pretty easy. Just tell us in the post, reply to the post, comment to the post. Tell us your best opening day baseball story. Something you went, you know, a great game you went to, a great something you saw, you know, you spilled a beer on somebody's head, you got thrown out, you got arrested, you streaked on the field. Tell us your best story. 7 p.m. July 3rd, contest ends. So you've got a comment on one of the posts, 7 a.m. Eastern, July 2nd through 7 p.m. Eastern, July 3rd. Got about a day and a half to do this. Find the post. I'll make sure to retweet it and push it out there a bunch of times on all the networks. The winner, selected by a joint of spot track and the hit parade crew will win a official limited edition autographed baseball Jersey. That's all I can tell you right now. You're going to like this. You're going to want this. It's an official licensed Jersey from David Adams. One of the biggest memorabilia card stores out there right now. As you heard this week on the spot track podcast, I'm really excited about this. This is a great contest. All you have to do is comment and tell us a great story and you've got a chance to win an autographed baseball jersey. Really happy to be joined up with Hit Parade and David Adams Card World. It's a great little partnership. I think we've got a lot of similarities here, as you might have heard with John Grimaldi on Tuesday's show. I'll be posting this tomorrow. We will announce the winner July, Saturday, July 4th. 4th of July, licensed jersey winner. Just give us your best story. You've got to post it. 
by 7 p.m. Eastern, July 3rd. So find the tweet, find the Instagram post, find the Facebook post, and tell us your favorite opening day baseball story. Happy to welcome to the Hit Parade Hotline, Emily Karen from Sportico, a new platform that she's going to tell us all about. Emily, thanks for joining the show. And uh, what brought you to Sportico? They've got a great team. Um, anyone who knows our editor-in-chief, Scott Chosnick, in the industry knows that uh, he is the man to know um, and the man to work for. So, you know, they brought on some of my former coworkers from Sports Illustrated, some great staffers from Bloomberg and a bunch of other places. And, you know, it's a fantastic team. And we've got great backing with Penske Media. And, it, you know, in time, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, I was pretty certain that this was the right move. Yeah, I- just doing some quick research, I think you're you're exactly right. The this initial starting team is really impressive. You're going to hit all the notes. I know you're on the sports business side of things. Has that always been your pedigree, or is this something you sort of uh, morphed to over your time? It's definitely been something that I've morphed to. Um, I like I said, I started out at Sports Illustrated. I was on news desk and then did a bit of stuff in the college sports space and then kind of ventured into the college sports business space. Um, and then now with Sportico, you know, we're really diving in full force, um, doing everything that we can to cover all aspects of sports business. When did it actually launch? Was it this week? Yesterday. Yesterday. Great. Yeah. <laughs> how's, how's our timing? Good. Uh, look at this is a really good uh, situation. We, we do so much sort of in and out with the numbers that seeing content that's this impressive and this long form is always super exciting. So I'm really happy that there's, a, there's another player in the game from a sports business side that is going to be following this stuff closely and writing long form. And I know there's podcasts and things like that involved as well, correct? There will be. Yep. Yes. Great. All right. So let's talk about some of the things that you've been, you've been working on and uh, focusing on really the entire year, because we're at a really good point now where some of your content is becoming really, really relevant. I want to start here. Um, you follow a lot, a lot of the women's sports leagues uh, really closely and really nicely, especially with the numbers. There's some really exciting things happening, one of which just happened. This, this NWSL game that was broadcast on CBS, um, 572,000 total eyeballs on this thing. It was really the first American sport to come back somehow. I don't know. How, you, know you know what I mean? That's crazy in <laughs> itself, but yeah. good for them. I, I hope they pushed for that because I think they understood what that meant for them. Um, and look at, they had their struggles. They had a team have, have to bow out in Orlando because of the, the positive tests. Um, so they, they went through their, their adversity and pushed through it. And that's such a great win for them. Is, is this something you see they can build on or was this really just a kind of like a fluky thing? I 100% think it's something that they can build on. I think, you know, I believe their numbers from last weekend, their, you know, their return to play opener, the viewership was over 200% higher than their previous record. Um, you know, so the audience is definitely there. And I think as a league and the individual teams, they're really working to capitalize on that. I think they're also doing some pretty interesting stuff with, you know, utilizing Twitch to live stream their international games. So they're really trying to innovate in the way that they not only interact with their fan bases socially, but also digitally and the way that they kind of connect to a greater audience, right? Because soccer is the biggest sport in the world and a lot of fans, you know, potentially could come from the international scene, especially on the women's um, front with how strong um, women's soccer is in the U S. So, you know, I think they're really strategically approaching it. And I think the timing just just really worked in their advantage. Yeah, I totally agree. I I watched the game and ended up being a great finish. It was such a home run for them. I was really happy to see it. 
And I do hope it continues. You're right. The Twitch aspect of it, the digital side of it, that's something that works really well for the English Premier League with NBC Sports. I know their digital platform is really doing well. So I do think that's the way to go. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, there's another sport that I know you're following, this Women's Softball League, this Athletes Unlimited um, company, which is really kind of like a like a, a multi-sport media company that is also going to push out leagues soon. I mean, there's going to be a softball league basically right outside of Chicago that's going to be broadcast on ESPN and CBS who, who were clamoring for the rights. You know, you know, this wasn't like a, we've got to find somebody to broadcast this. They wanted this. They understand this. Right. It is... Right it is not just a softball game. There's going to be content. There's going to be personalities. There's going to be people we recognize from the Olympics and things like that. It, it's, there's a lot of things going right here. And I, and it, I think it's why the big networks jumped on this. Um, do you have any insight into this athlete athletes unlimited system and maybe, you know, what kind of success it might have? Sure. So I actually just wrote, um, a piece on this shameless plug on Sportico. <laughs> um, for our launch and what athletes unlimited is doing is pretty unique in that, like you said, they're kind of a network of leagues. So, you know, there's an infrastructure that they were able to build to host sort of a number of different women's leagues that I think the women's sports space hasn't necessarily seen. Um, they've made a huge investment into kind of in-house media production, a huge investment into kind of self-created content. And I think that will not only showcase the leagues, but also the individual athletes. And we have seen, you know, athletes across the board, their individuality, their ability to, you know, have an audience on social and digital and other platforms, you know, really pays off in the end. So I think what Athletes Unlimited is doing is not only giving their players a place to play the game and showcase their sport on major platforms, right? You know, ESPN and CBS sports, like you mentioned, both big players in the game. And, you know, they're also going to distribute these in South America and in Canada. So you're expanding the reach, but you're also, you know, setting up a system where your athletes as individuals can succeed in other aspects off the field. Um, and I think that's a huge win for women's sports. And, you know, I'm sure the, these athletes would probably agree with that. And I think, that's been the biggest appeal. Um, you know, and if they can do it well, obviously it's easier said than done to launch a new league, just like launching any new venture. But I think the setup is right. And I think the timing really works well because these leagues that they're going to be launching softball, is going to be first in August and they're going to come around with volleyball in 2021. They were designed to be played all in one city, you know, the whole thing happens in one location over a short condensed time span, which is honestly incredibly lucky for them because, you know, that model predates this pandemic, but ends up being incredibly conducive to it. And the timing of the league specifically, each of those sports, I think is really important. Here's the question I want to ask. Do you know why softball picked the Chicago region? I'm from my understanding, Chicago is a pretty big softball hotbed. Really? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you look at the college softball landscape, right, the SEC tends to dominate some other schools um, more in the Midwest. But if you actually look, there are a decent number of players who come from the, you know, Chicago, Illinois region. And like I said, Midwest um, more broadly is pretty big kind of breeding ground for softball players. Makes sense. Here's what I kept thinking as I was reading your article on this. everything that they seem to have lined up right now is exactly what the XFL did wrong. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking. <laughs> the, the XFL just thought football is football and people are going to watch it because it's football and we don't really need to supplement it at all. 
And that just couldn't have been more false. I mean, the numbers tanked immediately once the football wasn't real football. It was a worse version of football. And I think not only are you going to have the best softball maybe available in August here with some of the biggest names in the entire sport, but you're going to have this supplemental content, these personal stories, which you know these athletes have a ton of it growing up, a ton of stories to tell. They're going to supplement with big podcasts, you know, big name people following and covering this thing. I just think they're doing the right thing. I really have a good feeling about this. And I, and hearing that big time networks were clamoring for it, that's always a good sign. That's generally a sign that this thing's going to at least make a good first impression if they can be sustainable is a whole nother story. But yeah, really nice job on that piece. And I, I, I feel bad that the volleyball portion of this might be nixed because of this virus. Right. Um, the timing might be awful there, but I do think the softball part of it, if it can if it can get off the ground should be successful because I mentioned the timing of the, of the, uh, of the season, the, the youth sports of baseball and softball finish by July 4th. We're usually generally by right now. So to have August, which is generally an, an open, you know, it's, it's preseason for the NFL, which nobody cares about. I think it's a perfect time for that because you've got all these, all these athletes on the heels of their season leading into then a college season I think it's perfect. And the same goes with volleyball. They're on the heels of, of the winter, the fall winter volleyball season. So I do think it can work. So nice job with that. I want to get back to one more thing before I let you go here. You did, you followed college sports a lot um, in your previous gigs. And I, I've read a lot. Of, I've read, I've read a lot about <laughs> <I did. laughs> it. You, you really did. And you dove deep a couple of times. You've had commissioners on with you. I've seen quite a bit of your content. I've been following for a, a few months now. Um, I've got a couple of quick questions and they're tough questions. I understand, but this is the oh, biggest okay. one because I, I want to talk a little bit about the money without getting too much number in too many of the numbers out there. Can, can college athletes survive without football right now? I'm, I'm really worried about this from a global sports standpoint. You know, I think it's tough because realistically, if you look at revenue charts for athletic departments, college football alone floats a lot of other sports. Now that is not to say that you know, there's not other institutional support that can come that can continue to, um, you know, fund the other sports within colleges and within uh, the NCAA landscape. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, especially, you know, you look at football without fans and that's one thing because you can still get broadcast money, which is, you know, big time dollars for these institutions um, and whatnot. You know, there's still going to be revenue from bowl games potentially and, you know, other postseason incentives, but if you don't have college football at all, you know, you're losing not only the revenue from games themselves, the tickets, the on-site concessions, everything else, but you know, that media money is going to be hard to replace. I'm really concerned so, about it. I really am. And, and, yeah. and I keep hearing these ideas of them playing football in the spring. And I know a lot of people quickly just look at that and say, that's selfish, but it's just not right. I mean, you, you, you've been so close to this stuff from a business standpoint now for the last couple of months it's just not that the trickle down effect is real, right? I mean, a lot of sports will have to go from a lot of these major institutions. If the football program doesn't have at least a, some semblance of a season. You know, I think it's hard too, because people started to get pretty optimistic maybe a month ago when the curve looked like it was flattening and the NCAA voted to start letting student athletes voluntarily go back to campuses to start preparing for the fall seasons. And then, you know, students got back Several schools, um, LSU, Clemson, a number of others reported a number of coronavirus cases. Then it started spiking around the country. Now even professional seasons that were set to resume are kind of up in the air and in question. And so I think 
the same as now said for football, college football, where I think there was kind of maybe a breath of relief there for a hot second, um, you know, that maybe we could make the season work and maybe this season could, you know, some, I think even still thought that maybe fans could attend, um, you know, similar to the actual current thinking that, you know, maybe fans can attend in a limited capacity and whatnot. But I have to imagine that those concerns have risen to the surface again, given the recent developments in COVID and, you know, considering that people were worried that a second wave would hit in the middle of the college football season and disrupt the season as planned. But now we're seeing spikes and we're still in the first wave. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty still in the space. And, you know, with anything, it's hard to plan not knowing what's coming next, but especially when we're talking about the kind of money that goes into these college athletic departments, the kind of funding that they need, the kind of revenue they have to bring in to stay afloat, um, you know, and institutions themselves are not going to be in a great place financially to, you know, continue floating these departments if they can't self-sustain. So it's really hard to see because, you know, people love college sports and college sports provide fantastic opportunities for student athletes, for coaches, for, you know, everybody else. Um, and all of that is sort of up in the air. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough time in college athletics, but you know, not just for football, but for what that trickle down effect, like you said, will do for the rest of college sports. And we've already seen a number of programs cutting different smaller sports, um, you know, or sports that don't bring in as much revenue. We've seen, you know, some schools have even, already announced uh, I think it was Morehouse and HBCU already announced that you know they're not even having football because it's not going to be worth it for them because they're not bringing in that kind of major media money that they're going to need and with no fans it's just not going to happen so you know the thought that that could happen elsewhere is you know it's definitely real right now right the the catch-22 is and you kind of laid it out there nicely is we need the gross part of college sports, which is this conglomerate business that is football and basketball to, to be able to right now, at least afford the sports that are truly amateur, that are, that are truly, right. <laughs> you know, student athletes who are, who are literally double, you know, doing double duties right now in full-time schooling and full-time athle- athletics mm-hmm. and making a difference in both areas for themselves personally and for the university. It's such a catch 22 because they're two completely different scenarios for, for these major schools. Um, here, I want to transition to my final question, which is this COVID situation for every single sport. And obviously it's for everything, every corporation really in the whole world, but let's just keep it to sports. It's causing every, everyone to have to downsize or trim or, or, or at least alter normalcy in a lot of ways. And, and in a lot of ways, it's smaller schedules, smaller staffs, less travel, all those things. Are, are we going to get to a spot where a lot of these corporations and leagues and teams and businesses decide that this is actually a pretty good long-term solution to my, my, my question here, I'll make it easier. These big, these big football programs that rule the day, but really have so much power and effect on the rest of how these universities operate. Do we need to downsize things here? Is there too much power, too much money so that when something like this happens, the rug is completely swept out from under them? Right. I mean, it's a good question. I think this is definitely going to be a reckoning. I think you've seen a lot of athletic departments, you know, football teams and departments more broadly, you know, spending a lot of money. I think it was Georgia set the record last year for, you know, I think they broke the $3 million barrier on how much money they spent on recruiting for their football team alone. And, you know, it's like, 
those types of, types of things are all going to be under a microscope now. Yes. You know, and I think I do think that a more sustainable system has to come out of this um, because I, you know, I think everyone is pretty aware of the fact that whatever economic and fiscal repercussions are happening right now are not just going to end when the pandemic does. That's right. Yeah. There's going to be a so, pickup at some point, right? I mean, yep. this point alone, we, we try to track this as much as possible on SpyTrack. We do, of course, with the professionals, but just the amount of money that these universities pay coaches to be fired because of guaranteed <laughs> contracts. It's an unbelievable right. amount of money and it's not just the head coach. It's all the assistants. It's the trainer. It's everybody. These are, these are package deals. Generally speaking, that much money just being thrown away because of a couple of losses is that's reckless. It's crazy. Why do we have to have guarantees in all of these amateur sports when, you know, we've got an NFL that barely can't, can barely guarantee a quarterback right now. So I, I just think it's so, it's, it's so backwards. And I, I really do hope from a global level, I mean, everywhere. I mean, I hope, to some degree that the baseball season is shortened forever, <laughs> you know, uh, the preseason in the NFL, which is recently just knocked down that it's down to two games. I hope that stays forever. I just think there's so much surplus inside of all of these organizations from a business standpoint. Um, and maybe I'm selfishly hoping that the money can go to the players somehow, but um, it, it just seems like there's a big gap and it's been exposed this summer more than ever. Oh, it definitely has. And I think, you know, our CEO, Dick Glover, has talked about this before, but that's part of the reason that Sportico ended up launching early because we were not planning on launching until, you know, much later in the summer is we are in the middle of the biggest sports business story we have seen I love that. in forever. And I think there's going to be such a change, you know, in the way that even fans attend games, the way that games happen, the way that teams are marketing, the money that's being spent, you know, um, the media deals being struck, the expenses at the college level, at the pro level, everywhere. And I think, you know, now is the time to pay attention to what long-term changes are coming down the line because I, you know, like you said, I certainly think there's kind of been an exposure right now to things that fans and, you know, people in the industry themselves weren't necessarily aware of with how things were operating. I'll answer that with one of your quotes. Content is, is as important as the games on the field. I mean, that, yeah. it, it just is. It is. It's, it's a great quote. It's how these startups have to operate. And, and it's really how everybody does now. It can't just be reckless fluff. You've got to actually have something impactful. I, th- I always think of LeBron James. I always think of LeBron James. He, he, think, <laughs> he thinks of everything. He really does. Like he owns it. He's owned his content since day one. I mean, obviously sometimes in a negative way with the decision, but it just, he just... He understood that from day one, that he couldn't let anybody else dictate his story. And to me, that's exactly how every major league and sports league should operate. You just have to be able to own everything from the inside out and then have smart people like you go and put it in, into long form. So uh, I really appreciate you joining me. How can we find you on Twitter? Uh, tell us a little bit about Sportico's information. Get all that out there, out there for us, would you? Yeah, you can find us. We are at sportico.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-C-O. Um, I'm on Twitter at underscore E-M Karen and Sportico is just at Sportico. So we should be easy enough to find. We are posting content all day, every day. Like I said, at the beginning, we've got a great team. Um, we've already broken a ton of news and we've only been live for what, 24 hours? <laughs> that's, a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty good start. Emily, thanks so much. Let's do this again soon. Thanks for having me. Okay. My thanks to Scott Allen and his bubble talk, Emily Karen. What a great guest. That, first time having her on the show. She's bounced around. She's been with some really big networks, Sports Illustrated, Front Office Sports, and now Sportico, a new startup, sports business platform. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. 